Ah, good luck. Puts on the step, goes right through, puts on the step again. Oh, go pretty. That was magnificent stuff. Well, I shall not believe them. Marshall skips away, Marshall skips away. Marshall's still going. Mullins opens up again. Oh, look at him go. He beats O'Davis on the outside. Yes, hello. Welcome to uh, what would appear to be some kind of abbreviated TVT drunken session. I mean, why not? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a weeknight, I'm drinking. What are you, you saying I've got a problem? Or <laughs> No, just a couple of reds, nothing serious. Just thought, um, I've got a few things on my mind, uh, rugby league-wise, so I thought I'd um, sit down and have a bit, of a, a bit of a natter to no one. Do a real David Hunter. That's become a verb now. But obviously it's not always going to be rugby league related because I, I do have a few things on my mind before we, we tackle uh, my philosophies on the greatest game of all. One of them, it's not really, um, it's more of a passing observation actually. I recently got bought Mark Boris's book called Rise. Now, it's meant to be a book that motivates you and gets you you know, into a state of action and so you can sort of check off all your life goals. And um, I've had it for three months, can't be asked reading it. So um, I feel like every time I see it there on the bookcase, it's sort of like an ironic joke at my expense. So um, yeah, my first point in, on today's podcast is fuck you, Mark Boris, for attempting to motivate me, but clearly not taking into account my abject laziness. Uh, I don't know if that's addressed in chapter one. I'll never know because I won't read it, but I have read the back. And uh, it comes with a little photo of Mark Boris, actually. And I have to say this, it looks unusually focused. looks very determined. Um, and that's all I'll ever know about the book. Rise, in all good bookshops. And another thing I was doing right before I turned on the mic was actually listening uh, to a bunch of love songs on Spotify. You can get these kind of like Spotify lists. And, um, you know, I put for some reason I deliberately did this. I put in cheesy 80s love songs. And uh, which is what you want to do when you, you know, you've opened up a few cans on a Monday. You just want to chill out to some, you know, Krista Berg and Michael Bolton, don't you? I mean, because and then nothing screams winner <laughs> sitting back when your wife's gone to bed, having a few drinks and putting on Michael Bolton, and not his best hits, just these B-side shit, steel bars. And all those shitty covers he does too. I don't know if you're aware of this. You're probably not because I think it's only been listened to eight people and six of them are me. Uh, but he does like a bunch of Motown covers and his version of Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, the great Otis Redding track, is so bad. It's actually hard to describe how bad it is. It's like someone strangling a squirrel and then drowning it at the end of a pier on the dock of the bay. And it actually got me thinking because, you know, I, I, I listen to these songs uh, sort of mildly ironically, but I actually enjoy them. So can I, I'm a bit sick like that. Um, and tonight I just found myself actually thinking about the lyrics. I don't really realise how fucked up a lot of love song lyrics are. One of my favourite songs, Bruce Springsteen's I'm On Fire. I love that. Um, but then if you actually stop to think about it, you go, hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go away and leave you all alone? I've got a bad desire. I'm on fire. Well, sounds a bit savilish, 
doesn't it? It sounds like an, an underage girl home alone. I've got fire in my pants. What are you going to do about it? And now I don't think I can listen to it in quite the same way. Um, not sure of your thoughts, listeners. Um, if you want to weigh in on this, by all means. Uh, what's that other one? Um, Hunters and Collectors. That one, I'll come to you at night time and watch you as you sleep. Uh, touch you in something places. I mean, it's it's sick when you actually think about it. So from now on, I'm doing nothing but instrumentals because um, I want the rest of my life to be relatively wholesome. So that's my plan and I'm sticking to it. Now, um, rugby league. <laughs> that, is, that is why we're here. Hold on, I'm going to have another sip. Oh, yeah, that's good varnish. Now, don't panic. It's not really varnish. It's paint. haven't got to that stage yet. Now, um, I did write down some notes here for myself. That's right. Well, this is going to sound like real tinfoil hat stuff. And I guess if you've listened to enough TVT, you'd go, that sounds about right. So um, it's not out of the ordinary. But I've honestly got this theory that uh, Peter Volandi's version of the NRL, which I know people on social media have been referring to as PVL ball because the the game's changed a lot. And I I think that's actually a fair criticism. Uh, But I actually think there's something else that he's doing a little bit behind the scenes, and I want to know if you agree with me or not. Now, I want to know, this is my question, is the NRL engineering a campaign for less referee accountability? Now, I actually think the answer is yes, okay? And I, I want to make my case. Now, when you tally up the six again rule, which has been implemented without virtually any viewer explanation as to what penalties are for, for example, the video ref going behind doors to review decisions as, to, as opposed to the referee calling for a review and we all get to see it at home, the distinct lack of replays of key moments you know, it actually seems pretty obvious to me that this PVL administration, what they're doing here is actually gearing the game away from referee scrutiny and towards what they would label, I don't know, a more free-flowing, entertaining game. Now, I actually see the logic in doing that, actually. You know, nobody tunes in to watch referees endlessly review a call that stops the game for five minutes. It's boring, uh, you know, time freezes and not a lot happens, otherwise known as Luke Brooks's fifth tackle options. Now, PVL, he's made no secret of the fact that what he wants to see rugby league become is more fun to watch for the fan and therefore more competitive with the likes of competitors like AFL, for example. Uh, That's their only competitor. I was going to say the A-League and then I thought, well, you know, let's make it a serious conversation. Now, he actually has said this a number of times. You know, he, he says that rugby league is in the entertainment industry. There's actually a lot of truth in that statement. But, and there is a big but here, this, in my humble opinion, should never mean compromising the integrity or core selling points of the game. I think most of us would agree, for example, that two points for a field goal outside of the 40-metre zone seems a whole lot more like Channel 7's Holy Moly than Rugby League. Why not add seven more points for a kick that successfully 
bounces off an unsuspecting Jason Lowry's bald head in the crowd before it goes over the black dot. It seems to make about as much sense to me. This move away from referee criticism, while it may on the surface seem harmless and speed the game along, is actually intentionally removing referee accountability. And I believe deliberately conditioning fans to focus on the product and not how it's officiated. Yes, over time, fans will be arguing less about referee calls. And and yes, we want to avoid forensic replays that take longer to complete than a Mitch Pearce origin win. But we should also be asking, what is the cost of all this? Will it mean, for example, that less accountability will ultimately mean poorer ref standards? You know, it's actually not such an absurd assumption to make. Now, as we know, this is generally what it means in other areas of life. Just ask Tiger Woods' mobile phone provider. They should have known that a man asking for 34 burner phones in one transaction was a red flag. A lack of accountability is a bad thing. A lack of accountability around women in Canberra? That didn't seem to go so well either. Nor in Facebook's headquarters when Mark Zuckerberg pitched the idea of creating a covert algorithm that no oversight body's allowed to see and asked it to destroy the fabric of modern discourse for maximised profits. My point is that accountability is actually a great thing. And if I can just claw my wobbly rant back from the duplicitous Silicon Valley for just a moment and to the world of rugby league, the fan deserves to know what is going on at a judicial level. You know, for PVL and the administration to just say, well, it's for the best interests of the game and to keep people in the dark, I actually don't think it's good enough because we have less idea about whether the calls being made are the right ones or not. And these calls actually deserve to be talking points. How hard would it be to stick an explanation on the screen about a six-again penalty, for example? The referee could either signal the indiscretion or mouth it to the mic and the broadcasters could slot it on the screen. It's pretty easy. This is not a logistical issue. I think it's actually a deliberate tactic. And on another front, who's to say that fans discussing decisions is a bad thing? It's actually not. Arguing about ref calls is as much in the DNA of rugby league as scoring tries. We swear at each other at the pub, occasionally glass each other in the face, and before offering the aggrieved person a meat pie and chips as compensation, and that's the way it should always be. Now, I've noticed a few commentators saying that it's fine because it's about marketing the game to new audiences. Now, this marketing the game to new audiences bullshit seems to be the one-size-fits-all shirt that justifies every new change that PVL writes on his Freudian dream sheet at night before becoming a reality the next day. It's pretty stupid. It's pretty laughable, I have to say. You know, it's sort of, it's akin to the guy at the pub who, when you question a player's loyalty to a club, for example, they smugly tell you, oh, it's because rugby league's a business, mate. League's a business, that's all it is. It's a business. They've got to make business decisions, mate. Yes, I know it's a business, you dickhead. I wasn't under the false impression the NRL was some kind of weird fucking not-for-profit. After all, we leave that to rugby union. But just because league is a business doesn't mean every decision it makes should be geared towards a direct profit motive. I mean, if everything was about dollars and cents, we'd just euthanise Boyd Cordner. 
why nurse him back into the game? It's because we're human beings, mate. Okay, and sport, while it is a business, it needs to be profitable, it needs to be competitive, it also needs to be fun, entertaining, and loyal to the people that made it a fucking sport in the first place. So, as it happens, we're not in North Korea, and we can care about more than one thing at a time. And yes, we can care about speeding the game along and making it more entertaining without sacrificing referee due diligence. It is possible, Peter. Hear me out. Like he's listening. I like that. Imagine if PVL was a closet fan of TVT, and that's all he, he didn't. He went fuck nine. I don't. I don't care about one hundred percent footy. Um, you know, I don't care about NRL three hundred and sixty. What does TVT say? I need to know what Eamon Brown thinks, especially about Michael Bolton and that shitty cover of Otis Redding. I tell you, when I find lately now when I, I drink too much I'm struggling to breathe I'm pretty sure that's some kind of fatalistic medical symptom that I should get looked at and also my Adam's apple starts to bulge a bit like a shuttlecock um, again probably a sign of something sinister that I should look into having said that I'm just going to take another sip it's uh, good stuff now where was I <laughs> Honestly, can't remember. Too many brain cells gone. Um, look, I think where I was at was just about, that's right, dementia medication. No, no, no. I was talking about referee transparency. Peter, give us all the appropriate replays when something interesting happens. And this goes out to Fox, this goes out to Channel 9, and it goes out to whoever put the secret memo together to all of the broadcasters to say, fuck the viewers, if something weird happens, just keep it in the dark. Let's keep a still live image of Corey Norman standing there scratching his balls behind the scrum because we don't want to know if that was a forward pass or not. We don't want to know if someone was taken out in the neck. No, we don't want to know if Latrell Mitchell punched someone in the throat. We just want to see the scrum live doing nothing. We just want to see a static scrum. That seems to be the broadcasting narrative. Am I going insane? Maybe I am. I'd, I'd love to hear from you, uh, listeners. You can get me at uh, Voluntary Tackle on Twitter if you happen to have a Twitter account. And just tell me, am I, am I imagining this? Are there no fucking replays anymore? This goes for Nine and Fox. That's right. I'm a rugby league nerd. I've compared. I've compared notes. And uh, distinctly less replays than they used to be. And I think it ties into this theory. It's about lowering the accountability. They're trying to condition viewers to not give as much of a shit about decisions. But as I said, it is kind of in the fabric. you know. It, and, and you know what? Who's to say it's even an inherently negative thing? I love arguing the toss with other NRL fans. As long as you don't get nasty, you know, don't say, you know, fuck you, mate, you look like... Peter Fitzsimons in a sauna. You do, don't do that. Just have a have a constructive conversation. That's <laughs> that's a weird insult. Why would you? Is that even? I don't even know if it's an insult. Maybe he looks better in a sauna. You know, maybe the the red bandana melts off and just lush hair comes down. He's just got Hemworth hair underneath. No one knew. Unlikely, but um, I'm getting sidetracked. What I'm saying is due diligence. Good thing. Okay. Uh, we can walk and chew gum at the same time. It is possible. Uh, don't make the video ref go behind the scenes either. I hate that. It's like some kind of Orwellian creepy big brother who can steal the team's points at the drop of a hat. You've celebrated. You've gone back for a kick. That's the really comical thing. You see guys now trying to rush the kick. 
Mitchell Moses the other day. I swear to God, he had a kicking tee stuffed down his shorts. He's, you know, just in case. Better. <sighs> Plus, he's probably, you know, he needs that uh, so he doesn't look like he's got a pinner. It's a good thing. Uh, all I'm saying is, NRL, don't infantilise us all. Treat us like adults. We can cop a bad decision. I can even cop a howler, especially if it happens to Manly. It's funny. It's very funny. Um, but I, what I can't cop is being kept in the dark and treated like a fucking moron. I don't like that, uh, and I want it changed. Uh, I think that's the end of my rant about refereeing. Um, yeah, I think so. Well, I've probably really run out of rugby league-related things to say. I do have an observation. I was walking from my car to my unit today, and I noticed a bat on the ground. Which I notice a lot more these days, you know, in, in the COVID climate, because that's what's infected the world, supposedly. You know, um, someone eating a bat inside a lab. But um, I don't know if anyone's ever noticed this, but when you see a bat on the ground, um, dead, obviously, it's not, it's not, you know, it's not sleeping. It's, 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 it's passed away. Um, they never look peaceful, do they? Have you ever looked at a bat up close? They're gnarly motherfuckers. They really are. They've got these jagged teeth and they never look peaceful. And I remember thinking, I had this legitimate thought. I've gone, I wonder why. They must be an angry species or or just look ugly. And I realise it's because they've had a thousand fucking volts run through their body. They've been electrocuted. Um, how peaceful do you want to look? You know, it's, like, it's absurd on my behalf to assume that they should lie on the ground on the pavement. And look peaceful. Did Ted Bundy look peaceful when they put bolts through him in 89? Probably not. Probably looked as agitated as most of his victims. So I'm saying is that's an irrational thought uh, that I thought I'd leave everyone with. <laughs> Clearly non-rugby league related as well. Um, oh, is there anything rugby league related I can talk about? Um, I don't know if I'm celebrating him too much, but Matt Burton, is there a weakness to Matt Burton? Actually, don't think there is. Uh, you know, he's fast. He's got silky skills, amazing footwork, the longest kick in the game. I mean, the guy kicks eighty on the fly. He's the John Daly of kicks, uh, which is quite handy. You know, when someone can kick the hundred, <laughs> you'd be camped down your line. So, okay, Matty, just put it in, put in the in goal, please. Uh, he's also a big frame, so if he wants to run at the line, he's he's usually pretty good there. He's only going to get bigger. He's only going to get stronger. In short. Matt Burton scares me. I reckon he has the potential to dominate the NRL for the next decade. Now, I know that's a pretty huge call for a bloke that's only played a couple of first-grade games, but I don't care. He's that good. Uh, I'm happy to be proved wrong, which won't happen. Uh, which brings me to, I guess, my little rant here. Why the fuck are the Panthers letting this guy go? I mean, wow. I know you can't keep everyone but maybe keep the guy who looks like the perfect blend of Darren Lockyer and an angry horse on steroids would be my tip to the Penrith Panthers he is a no negotiation must keep player just picture this for a moment and I'll try not to sound too much like a Stelgetti off the Golden Girls but picture it just imagine that's a shitty <laughs> I hope there's no one listening who's under the age of 30 they the fuck's that mean um just imagine, no, just imagine that the Panthers team playing long-term 
with three out-and-out freaks in the playmaking roles. You've got Nathan Cleary, Jerome Luai and Matt Burton. They're young, so barring injury, they're only going to get better. You put the three guys like that in one team, and, and this is the other thing, in rugby league we know this, that you put three guys like that in one team, they will inevitably become more than the sum of their parts. Now, I can hear the murmurs already, the small thing called the salary cap. Firstly, I hear you. Uh, I'm a Roosters man, so I say work it out privately. Uh, secondly, of course, keeping Burton will mean losing a few players. It's inevitable, I get it. But you need to only look at the Melbourne Storm to how keeping a core group of playmakers together, freaks, over a long period of time is about the most effective thing you can do to scoring premierships. They've had to, I mean, the Melbourne Storm over the years, you could probably create a pretty impressive list of the players they've had to jettison since 2010. Before that, they just kept all of them. But since 2010... All the great talent over the years have had to let go because it meant keeping Cameron Smith, Cooper Cronk and Billy Slater together. They knew that if they kept the nucleus of that team together, it would yield great results. Because the three of them, I mean, they're basically a, a holy trinity of generational players. If you surround those players with hardworking, professional effort players who buy into the culture... Uh, these freaks in the spine will take care of the rest. It's actually a pretty simple formula. You know, as much as um, you know, Craig Bellamy makes it out that it's you know, it's eighty-hour weeks that does it. It's not really. It's just having three generational players in the one team. Penrith, you've done it. You may not know it. You've actually done it. You know, it might mean sorry, Luke Capewell. You're going to have to go off and make a few more male pornos on the side with another club. It may mean Brian Toto. Sorry, we can't extend you. For another couple of years. It might mean stains. Go back to fucking Forbes, you Ferrari dickhead. It may mean these weird things. But ultimately, if you replace them, if you've got a funnel of quality and replacing them with the right kinds of players, not even the talented ones. I mean the, the, the hard-working ones, the ones that know what role they need to play, then you're going to be in the finals every year and you're going to be giving the premiership a shake every year. Just my opinion... Uh, but Matt Burton's going. He's going to the Bulldogs. I mean, that just seems almost like a shame for everyone involved. You know, it might look a bit like Wally Lewis playing for the Gold Coast Seagulls again in the uh, in the early or mid-90s. Can't remember when it was. Um, you know, it seems a bit like Daryl Summers on television in the 21st century. It just shouldn't happen. And they should keep him. You know, and of course, the other argument you hear is Burton himself. Um, that he wants to play the six, and Penrith already have Luai there. Okay, this is true. You can't have two five eights, but you can convince the kid he can play like a hybrid role, you know, at 13, where he's essentially a second five eight anyway. It, this is not without precedent. Brad Fittler's done this in the past. Scott Hill's done this in the past. There have been, you know, talented ball-playing Five eights who successfully migrate to lock, and they sort of play a floating five eight. I think Matt Burton is perfect for it. He's the perfect frame for a back rower, anyway. You know, I mean, let's face it, thirteens. The lock is a very versatile position. You've got very different types of locks out there. They're the guys that some of them are just workhorses. They don't miss a tackle. They work for eighty minutes, like a Dale Finucane. And you also can have. Guys that are like a Bradley Clyde, damaging runners, good ball players. And then you've got like your Brad Fittler mold, um, who essentially are another 5'8". This is the thing about rugby league, guys. It, 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 tactics are malleable, right? You can invent new ways of doing things. 
which is a bit of a problem in rugby league. We are sheep when it comes to tactics and strategy, I've found, and it takes one person or one team to do something for everyone to follow it, which is weird. You, you watch Adam Reynolds kicking two of these 40-metre fucking field goals. Now, you watch how many teams will go, well, he did it, I better do it too then. You know, it's like they get attacked by FOMO. Um, you know, first person, Milford puts up a giant bomb and everyone goes, yeah, put the ball up higher. Yeah, don't put it end on end so it's easy to catch. Yeah, put a, as many torp spins on it as I can. Make it difficult to catch. Because you know what? Maybe just mindlessly conceding possession in a kick on the fifth tackle with a shitty box kick, big shout out, Mitchell Pierce, isn't a good idea. You don't always just have to cede possession back. And that's why the, the great players stand out. That's why Andrew Johns stood out. You know, he was someone that would change the game with the way he handled the footy. You know, every, when he was doing banana kicks, everyone started doing banana kicks. Guess what? He retired and everyone's forgotten to do that now. Do they not remember the countless tries Newcastle scored off the back of Joey Johns' banana kicks? We're a weird game like that. So the 13, Ivan Cleary, make the role what you want. Anyway, I hope you're listening, Ivan. Give Tyrone May the flick. He's average at best. And sink investment into Burton if you want to have 10 years of dominance. As a Roosters fan, I hope you don't. But as a league fan, this will be a travesty if he ever leaves for the dogs. It's virtual retirement. Uh, look, that brings us to the end of this very strange mini Eamon Brown. I've called myself Brown. That's weird. That's how drunk I am. Drunken session. Um, I hope you're all well. Remember, you can get in touch with the show. Uh, we're all, we have a Gmail, thevoluntarytackle at gmail.com.au. Uh, you can get us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, I hope everyone has a really good night. Uh, enjoy your week. And uh, I hope on Thursday you're all doing what I'm going to do, which is the waiting uh, at Sydney Airport for Jackson Hastings to come in. I'm not going to welcome him, obviously. I just want to be there to snub him. I thought it'd be funny. See you next time.